0: Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. We're continuing where we left off. It is 10-10-2021. We're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer.
1: Thank you, Doug. Here we have the thought of the week. And I think the original was in King James Version, and I borrowed from the modified King James Version for this. I think the key word to listen to is dispensation. So, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me towards you, and that was Paul writing to the Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 2, and of course he had written about the dispensation of the grace of God, so they would have heard of it. Salvation is the same in every dispensation. I think that's significant enough for me to read again. Salvation is the same in every dispensation. And I am somewhat disappointed that some dispensationalists did not fully understand this point. However, this is the case, and dispensationalism should not be judged by what was missed by some, but by what was gained. We are not in this previously hidden age of grace in the sense that salvation by grace is only offered in this dispensation. Grace in this age is better defined by God really giving himself to us in a way he never did before. Our salvation is absolutely the same as someone living in a different dispensation. Whatever the church is, it comes through the gospel. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. It is not necessarily about the gospel. The work of the Lord Jesus is universal in nature. It applies to everyone born in Adam without exception. For the church, Jesus himself declares, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. From Matthew 16, verse 18. The church is built not on Peter, but on his confession. When he answered Jesus, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In Matthew 16, verse 16. It is only those who understand this and believe Peter's confession that Jews and Gentiles are saved and added to the church. This is an important point to make since many are falsely trying to make salvation the ultimate purpose of the church. And that was the thought of the week, and I'd like to offer some commentary on that, just some brief thoughts. But the very first thing that we must Uh, the very first thing that must take place to be in the church and to understand its calling and ultimate purpose, which is God's eternal plan, is to be born again, born of the Spirit. The gospel is good news because the bad news is real bad. Mm -hmm. We are all born condemned in Adam because of Adam's disobedience and because of God's declaration, condemned. But God provided all mankind a way to be saved in every generation and dispensation. To learn what is exclusive about a church in this age comes through that gospel. And I hope that added some clarity there, and then we'll have, we'll have uh, Dave offer prayer for us. Okay, uh, are there anyone have any special requests?
0: Yeah, Dave, for those who are sick, even Fred, who we just learned is having some sickness, pray for their household and others, as you know, um, your daughter, um, and uh, Gail's family, Kenny, etc. Okay, we're well, taking
1: to the of grace. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, on this Sunday, Father, asking you, Lord, to look over those who are sick along us, Father. We ask that you, Lord, to look over those also who are traveling, Father. Father, we ask that you to provide us to need the, the, the translation of us, Father, to learn your word, Father. We also ask that the Holy Spirit to teach us to the ministry that you've given us, our pastor, teacher. Father, we also know that your word, you said, cast all our cares to you, Lord. That's what we do at this particular moment, Father. We ask you, Lord, to, to look forward to each, each and every one of us, Father, to bless us in the name, Father, of our Lord and Savior, Christ. And as for His name, we ask you, Father, to teach us, Father, your word, your divine truth, Father, in all things we have, and all the blessings, also, Father, in Christ's name, Amen amen
0: uh, thank you Dwight and thank you Dave appreciate that and uh, we are moving forward um, we have notes in John sixteen thirty one and 32 it says do you now believe Jesus replied a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home you will leave me all alone yet I am not alone my Father is with me. So we're going to get right into it. we got a lot of ground to cover with this verse. Uh, hopefully um, we will get to it today and get to the rest of the full, you know, through these notes. Uh, so in your notes, as we are growing spiritually, we should always remember that it is a transformation process. We would like to think that we are knowledgeable and always moving forward, but in reality uh, the, but the reality is we are slowly changing. At times we can appear strong and spiritually nimble, and other times we can appear frail and very human as our negative behaviors continue to color our walk. Peter illustrates this for us when he answered a question, raising his voice over the other disciples. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And that's in Matthew sixteen sixteen. Just moments later, Peter had to be rebuked by Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That's verse 23 in Matthew 16 just remember the components of spiritual growth include successes and failures so we're, we're getting right into this phrase do you now believe Jesus replied so that's point one in our notes believe what Jesus knew they believed in him as the Messiah that was already clear Now, a lot of times you could read some of the commentaries will probably simply relate this to salvation. Uh, I'm not sure. I didn't actually go through the commentaries to look to see what they said about this particular verse. But I can tell you that salvation was not the question. Uh, Jesus knew they believed. So I'm going to go through a couple of these uh, these texts just to hopefully help us understand that the disciples were, in fact, believers in Jesus. They did believe that he was the Christ. just like Peter already confessed. You are the Christ, son of the living God. You are the Messiah. So they, they knew that, and they believed in Jesus as the Messiah. So not, when he says, do you now believe... And this comes from the previous verse, where they said, "Now we do, we get it, we understand." Um, so, uh, what is it that they were understanding? Believe what is my question? So, John six. Let's look at a couple just to make sure we're all on the same page. Six and the verses are sixty-one through seventy-one. Um, let's see. Sixty-one says, "Aware." that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? And what if you see the son of man ascend to where he was before? The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. Now, so Jesus gave the gospel and metaphorical terms about eating is whoever like in verse 56 whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood right Uh, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink instead of them understanding what Christ was saying spiritually speaking they, they were looking at it literally and they were disgusted by what he said so they they were grumbling about this and Jesus said does this offend you and verse 61, and they were offended. And so, verse 64, yet some of you who not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. So, obviously, we know who he's talking about in particular. That's Judas Iscariot. He's the one who betrayed Christ. So, Christ is, and he says from the beginning. So, did Judas ever believe in Christ? The answer has to be no. He did not. And then some people were saying, yeah, but you could believe and then you could turn that around and say, I don't believe. And then you might have salvation on the one hand and then you don't have it the next on the other. That's wrong. Judas never believed. The moment anybody believes in Christ, they have eternal life. It is not like, well, you got it conditionally as long as you maintain some sort of belief. It is the moment you have it it is like birth it's like once you're born you're here you have human life there is no you can't say well look like nicodemus well that you mean i have to go into my mother's room and come out again christ no that's not it at all so salvation is likened to birth not through you know oh the moment you believe oh you're saved but then you stop believing and oh no you're not saved anymore so we have Eternal security. Anyway, just this is not our point in the verse, but just to note uh, that Judas did not believe from the beginning. Uh, Verse 65, he went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. So in other words, you can't come to Christ unless the Father enables you to see who Christ is. How can you put your faith in somebody for salvation that you can't see? And that has to do with uh, the proper preparation of God the Holy Spirit. And uh, when it comes to this passage, it is talking to Jews who are familiar with the Old Testament and the prophecies that talk about Jesus. Now, how do they get familiar with that? The Holy Spirit, the Father, or as Christ is saying, the Father enabled them. And there's another scripture that actually bears that out. So verse 67 Uh, or 66, from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So some people departed over this. They said, oh, this is just too much. (laughs) This man is crazy. We, that's it. So they left. That's it. These are the people, a lot of them were those who were recipients of the fishes and the loaves, where Jesus multiplied that and fed this large crowd. And yet, They turned their back on Jesus and walked away because of what he said when it came to salvation. And they wouldn't believe. So he turns to the disciples in verse 67. He says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the holy one of God now listen they already we're talking about in our verse do you do you now believe Jesus replied they believed already way back here when they just confessed it right there they said we have come to believe it didn't mean they had it before they were, you know some people you know are you a believer? I was a, I was a believer since I was a little kid. I was born, I, when I was born into the family of believers, I always went to church. That, that is not what we're talking, about. we're talking about. When did you come to believe? When did you come to know right in your heart that you put your faith, your trust on the shoulders of Jesus Christ? There's a moment of salvation for everybody. You weren't just always saved. And that's religious talk. Because as far as people can remember back, they were doing religious things. But religious things don't get you saved. So we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. See, but that's salvation for them. They got it. Jesus replied in verse 70, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? So Judas was standing there. Even though he made, uh, Peter made that statement, Judas did not believe. And we already saw this. He says, I, have I not chosen you, the 12, yet one of you is a devil. And I, we don't even have to wonder who he's talking about. Verse 71, he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the 12, was later to betray him. And then there's uh, we're moving quickly because we're going to chapter 13. Uh, of john 6 through 11 chapter 13 now you know where jesus began to wash the disciples feet peter's like no you can't wash mine let's get to it Thirteen six. he came to simon peter who said to him lord are you going to wash my feet jesus replied you do not realize now what i am doing but later you will understand no said peter <laughs> he is brash isn't he who does he think he is, the Lord or something? <laughs> no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. In verse nine, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean though not every one of you. So again, he. how do we know who he's talking about? He's talking about Judas, verse 11. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. And we also have 15, 15 John 15 and verse 3. Uh, well, we came with this analogy about Uh, We'll go to verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will become even more fruitful. And here's the verse, verse 3. You, now Judas has already departed at this point. He had already left. Uh, Remember, if you follow the other context of John, John 13, you will see that Judas left. So now it's just the 11 disciples. So, Jesus says to them, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So, there, they are clean. And it didn't say you are getting clean. It's already you are clean. So, this is to me salvation for them. So, we already have the statements that are made. We have obviously, um, you know, as far as salvation was concerned. Jesus already told them, I'm going there to prepare in John 14, which I didn't include. He says, I am going to the Father's house to prepare a place for you. So he's talking to those 11 disciples and he's telling them that you know the place where I'm going. You know the Father and from now on you know him. And we've read all those key verses in chapter 14. So we're moving forward. Point B, there was clearly another point Jesus wanted to make. And it was not about salvation. Now, when people only have salvation as the choices of what is, what is being spoken of, then they can't come with uh, some conclusion that is beyond salvation. Because as far as they're concerned, salvation is the end goal. So they're not going to say, well, this is talking about something else. No, they're going to say this is about salvation. Why? Because they don't see what the plan of God is. They don't see what the Father's eternal purpose is. That can't be something that competes with salvation. So in John seventeen eight, it's clear. And we may come back to John 17 a few times here. John seventeen eight. here it is. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them they knew with certainty that i came from you and they believe that you sent me so this is something else other than salvation for jesus to say do you now believe well it, it implies that they didn't get it before they didn't understand it so now that you believe right you now you 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 believe now as opposed to you didn't believe before but now you understand what is it then that they now believe that's the point that we're trying to make here and jesus is trying to make so point c as we discuss from the context the disciples did come to understand that the father was behind the motivation they saw in jesus jesus had been talking about it the whole time my father this i am not come to do my own will but my father's. So I'm going to read a couple of verses to that end. Uh, John 4:34, and this is um, interesting because this is about the woman at the well. And so you know the, the whole story. We're not going to go through the whole story, but you should know that the, Jesus was hungry. The disciples said, "Hang here. Let's go. We'll go into town and we'll get some food." So uh, then there was a woman who was a Samaritan woman and Christ strikes up a conversation with her. And eventually uh, she leaves and is excited, uh, understands who he is, goes to tell people from her town. And uh, while she's gone, the disciples remember, wait a minute, we got food here. So this is verse thirty-three. Uh, then the, dis- the disciples said to each other, "Could someone have brought him food?" In other words, he was famished; he, he needed to eat. But G- and they wanted him—they wanted him to eat. And this is what Jesus says: "My food," said Jesus, "is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work." So notice, "My food." What do we mean, "My food"? Because getting food is a motivation that everybody should have if you're alive. Everybody has to eat. If you don't eat, eventually you will die. So there is a built in motivation for us to get food, right? As we live, we have to eat. Even Jesus says, Man shall not live by bread alone. Food but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we there is a physical aspect to us in this world, but also a spiritual aspect. You can't just it's not about just sustaining your life physically on this earth. It is also about coming to know who God is and ordering your life according to God's standards and his his will and purposes. So th- food here is representative of motivation is my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work Jesus said I got a motivation and you know the interesting thing here is the woman was there and Jesus was witnessing to her uh, and then he goes on and says don't you have a saying it is still four months until harvest I tell you open your eyes and look at the fields they are ripe for harvest and um, and and when we say look at the fields, he's probably pointing to Samaria, and he's probably seeing these people that the woman is brought back, and and they're Samaritans. For the disciples, they're like, we we better get out of here because these Samaritans are coming. We don't we don't want. And that's as literally, if you look at the context, verse thirty nine. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him, and because of the woman's testimony, he told and. Uh, uh, from that time, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did, I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him in verse forty, they were ur- urged to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And then they said to, uh, to the woman, "We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know." that this man really is the savior of the world. So, so notice, when Jesus was talking about my food, and then he, he goes into this thing, this analogy, it's, he's telling the disciples, open your eyes and look at the fields, they are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus, the one who sows and another reaps Is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So Jesus is talking from an evangelistic standpoint. The disciples have no understanding of this whatsoever, but he's teaching them. He's teaching them to understand what's going on. And then in John 14, 31, um, you know this verse very well. We've covered it. But he who, but when he, he comes, so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what the Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Uh, so he said, "I love the Father." This is what he means by my food is to do the will of Him who sent me. It is His food. I mean, His motivation, why He's here in the first place, is to do. He's motivated to do the will of the Father, and that's expressed here in this verse by saying, "I love the Father, and I do exactly what the Father has commanded me." So let's keep going. Point D: An analogy would be like us coming to understand the mystery after salvation. Right. However, now let's stop here because uh, that is the point. Right. First, you need to understand salvation. And then you have to understand what the Father's eternal purpose is. And that is the mystery uh, made known to us by revelation. This is what Paul said about the mystery. It was previously not known. It was hidden for ages. Israel didn't know anything about a mystery because it was hidden from them. All, and then later it says it was hid in God. Nobody knew anything about a mystery. So... The disciples are coming to know about the Father's plan. Even knowing about the Father, did they not know about the Father before? Yes, they did not know about the Father. If you look at John 14, well, they they should have known, but they just sort of did not know. And this is is where Jesus says in verse 7, If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. This is John 14, 7. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Well, you've seen him because I've been telling you what the will is. The steps that we take are the Father's steps. You've been following me all along. What does Philip say? Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus goes off on him by saying, Philip, don't you know me? Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Right? And verse 11, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Right? He goes on and on about the Father. And no, the answer is no, they didn't believe that. But they are, now they understand that Jesus is operating according to the Father's plan. Now they're, really, it's an introduction to the mystery. That's what's going on here. They get it now. All right, so it's, it's almost like what, what happens to us. And this is my point D. This is the analogy. <clears throat> is When we come to understand salvation, then... We come to understand about the mystery we see that he chose us he we are predestined to be conformed to the very image of his son right we those he foreknew he also predestined and those he predestined he also called those he we come to start understanding where we fit in in the father's eternal purpose so that's why the disciples are starting to say oh we, we get it now we get it. Well, it's not salvation because they already were saved and they knew it. But what is it that they're getting? They're getting this. So, uh, unfortunately, like I say in the notes, however, for many believers, the mystery is still a mystery, which means they don't know the plan of God. They in fact, it's not that they don't know it just ignorantly speaking, it's that they reject it. They would rather have something else other than what God is giving them. You know, and so for many believers, that's how it all shakes out. Um, So so when it comes to, here's a good example, when it comes to giving, which is very personal for every believer, giving. Many believers go back to the Old Testament and say, well, we we don't have a a good standard for giving in the New Testament. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the Old Testament, take from what the law said, And here is where we have the introduction of tithing. Many people in the church, many ministers are talking about bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. I can quote these words and many of you, these words are resonating with you and you can finish the sentence because you've heard it week after week of ministers saying that this is a part of your responsibility to God. And it's not with regard to giving. And it's not at all. And so what they have done is they look past all the giving scriptures in the New Testament that God has given the church. And they said, well, that's not good enough. We want tithing. So we're going to talk about tithing. And then they try to mix the giving scriptures in the New Testament with the tithing. It becomes a mess. The scripture in the New Testament talks about that each person is to give, not out of necessity, but because he wants to give from a cheerful heart. I mean, out of necessity, well, that would be tithing, right? You are necessarily responsible to give when it comes to tithing. You have robbed God if you don't give a tithe. But, But that's not giving in the New Testament. That's not giving in the church age. Because it says that we're not to give out of necessity, but because God loves a cheer, And nobody should be able to tell you, let every man be persuaded in his own heart what to give. Not telling you what to give. So those principles for them seem broad. Is just, well, you mean we got to leave the giving up to the, the person giving? I mean, that we can't put any restrictions on them? And the answer is no, you cannot. If a person wants to give, let him give according to what he wants to give. Is there a set limit that he is to give? Each Yeah. Each man is to give according to whatever his heart desires. That's the limit, whatever it is. There's no limit. But but you know what? People that have gone back to the Old Testament, they say, Oh, that's not clear enough for us. We're going to adopt the giving system that Israel had. And it will not work because it is not for... Um, The church is for the nation Israel, simply put. We're going to keep moving, but they don't know the mystery, and they reject the mystery. As a result, they have borrowed and they uh, manipulate and twist God's plan for the church. Point number two, so uh, it says, a time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. So the first thought is, a time is coming. This is Jesus' way of, to, to say, very soon. Right When he says, a time is coming. If we go back to John 16, there was another way he said it in the previous verses. Here he says, um, uh, Jesus saw, well here it is, in verse 16, um, 15, or 16, 16, 16, Jesus went on to say, In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a a little while, you will see me. So in a little while, and then after a little while. Then he he repeats this. And the disciples repeat this. They said, what do you mean by in a little while, and then after a little while? We went through all of that. But what we realized is, he's talking about in a little while. He's talking about his death, which would happen the next day. (laughs) <laughs> what if he said tomorrow this is going to happen? Because that's really what what happened. Tomorrow, this is what this is what's going to happen, and then after tomorrow, a couple days after tomorrow, this is what's going to happen. That's how soon these things were. So how soon? Very soon. Uh, it just reminds me, of Andre Crouch. Soon and very soon, we're going. To, to see to, to see the Lord and in this it is literally upon them. So what would happen when when Jesus is talking and that would be the death burial and resurrection that's point a Point B recall we are on a strict timeline. Judas had already gone to betray him and the wheels of the roller coaster are already in motion. There's no going back. There's no well. Let's let's slow down. Judas, come back. We got more days that we're gonna uh, do things. No, it's this is it. Jesus is operating according to the time that he has, and that leads us to point C. When when is this time? Um, uh, and and this is the quote. And in fact, has come. So we could be more specific. If we wanted to, when Jesus says, a, when Jesus says a time is coming, but then he, he follows that with, and in fact, has come in point C. In other words, now <laughs> we could say, when is it? It's now. So if we were thinking about the rapture or when God comes to catch the, you know, the church up to meet the Lord, we could say he's coming soon. But if we were to say he's coming very soon, then that would be saying just like, and in fact, the time has come. Well, we can't say that because nobody knows the day when, when the rapture is going to happen. Nobody knows that except God. But we can't say whether it's in after this Bible study is over, after church is over, or if it's going to be in the next year or five years or 25 years, or 125, we don't know how long it's going to be before the Lord comes to, uh, like with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise, and we who are alive, that scripture in Thessalonians 4. We can't say when exactly it's going to be, but we are taught to uh, you know, look forward to that time, Looking forward to the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That's Titus two thirteen. So this helps us orient ourselves. Even the apostle Paul he says when we who are alive and remain, he thought that in his day Christ could have come. He didn't say, Well it was gonna be it's gonna be two thousand years down the road. He didn't know that. He in fact thought that he could poss- possibly be that last generation he didn't know what what that was so we don't either and we don't try to put times on it we could say it's the soon coming of the lord right we we, we are uh, all of us are adventists in that sense we're not seventh day adventists but we are adventists which means we are expecting the coming of the Lord. Now, they may be expecting the second coming, but we're expecting the rapture. Just like it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So, that's the time. And and, then Jesus specifies, and in fact, has come. In other words, now, before the night is over, the wheels are in motion, Jesus will be arrested. Just know that. That's what he's saying. Right after this, we're going to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Judas has already gone to betray me and is bringing the temple guards, and they're going to meet us there. He could have said it that way. But I think he prepared the disciples enough. If we go to John 18, 1 and 2, just to know, right after this discourse, and what does it say? When he had finished praying, what's the last thing we saw in John 17? Was the Christ praying. Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now, what is the next verse? Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. And they were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons they were expecting a fight so i mean another place says they had clubs and sticks and staves and what well, would, they, would they think they were trying to capture a wild animal or something and this is jesus he looked at them all he was like what what do you think i've been here teaching in the synagogues all along anyway getting back to the notes it was that soon That's what he meant by time is coming and in fact has now come. So um, point D in our notes, Jesus often referred to this time as his hour. And I think you've seen this. I'm going to turn to a couple scriptures, not all of them. There's plenty more if you do look at this. So it's Matthew 26, 45. Um, he, He spoke about it this way. He says, um, then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. Now he's not talking about a literal hour because a lot of times he would say, hey, my hour, my, my hour has not come, but here it has come. And what does it mean? What does Jesus mean when he says this? And the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. So he's talking about his being arrest, arrested now. His hour has come. Or Luke twenty-two 53. Let's look at what Luke says. Luke 22, 53. And by the way, this is not the only way he uses the hour. He uses it for other things. Uh, twenty-two fifty-three. Every day I wish... Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your, notice, your hour when darkness reigns. So this is the time when, remember, darkness covered the face of the earth. This is the time we call the passion of Christ, where he literally has to undergo a a series of events that lead him to the cross, which is the climax where God has to judge the sins of the world in Christ. And then there's John twelve twenty seven. Uh, let's look at that. John twelve twenty-seven. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this notice, this hour? No, it was for this very reason. I came to this hour. Christ is saying I'm at this point. Even in John 12 and 13 literally he was right there. He was right there. And the time he could have been talking about it his whole ministry for three and a half years but now the time has come that he has to actually get to the cross. And so in John 17 17 1 What does it say? How does it? After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. So Jesus is recognizing the time. The disciples don't know what time it is, but Jesus did. He knows exactly what time it is. And he's been telling them constantly, preparing them. And uh, the disciples will fail, uh, just as the scripture prophesied. Point E, he says, You will be scattered, they will be, you will be scattered each to your own home. And this is point E for us the disciples were scattered. And here's the scripture Jesus is, was thinking about strike the shepherd. And the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. That's Zechariah 13 and verse 7. So, you know, all of those who followed Christ, all of those disciples suffered persecution. All of them did. So, strike the shepherd, excuse me, strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. So if you think about Zechariah, and I quoted it for you, there's more in that verse, but you could go look it up. It's a prophecy. And for Jesus to quote these prophecies, it's, it's kind of, people think, well, he quoted this because he's telling them that's what you got to do. No, he's telling them that's what they would do. Prophecy doesn't make it happen unless God orders it. But when he's talking about events such as this, He's saying, "This is what happens. This is what's going to happen. You're gonna, I'm gonna strike the shepherd. Means I'm going to have to be uh, go under suffering. And who's striking the shepherd? Listen, it's the father who strikes the shepherd. Yeah. And if you read Zechariah, you'll see a little more of that in there. And sure enough, who's the shepherd? Christ, and the father's going to put him to grief." cause him to suffer. That's And the sheep, as a result of that, will be scattered. They will d- be d- divided. Yeah. So point F follows, quote, then everyone deserted him and fled. And this is a, the account, it says, of a young man. Now, as far as I know, <clears throat> there wasn't others in the Garden of Gethsemane other than Christ and his 11 disciples. In fact, he brought the 11 into the Garden, and then he told them all the way here. And then he took Peter, James, and John, and they went up a little further, and they prayed with Christ. Christ went on a little further as well. And so when you have this story, you, you can imagine that um when it says here this young man this young man was one of the disciples It's my thought but it doesn't announce his name which young man is it because it says a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment you know what if it was peter <laughs> it would have said and then peter who had on the garden, because Peter's all over there. But here it just says a young man. I wonder who that was. We can only speculate. We'll never know completely. But a young man, this is what it says, wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. They grabbed him, and that was it. They, they were going to persecute him as well arrest him as well as part of uh who you know those who were following christ but of course jesus steps in and says leave them alone it's me who do you want it's me you want let me you know you can come to arrest me come on and so but th- this is the story of the man who ran naked he left he was in such a hurry that he forget about the garment he just ran naked That's kind of, when you think about it, does have some comedy. And then it doesn't give his name. Hmm. You know, John, a lot of uh, uh, times, as you read in John, it's the disciple who loved Jesus or the disciple, you know, the certain disciple. He's talking about himself. I, I don't know if it's John or not, but I'm just saying. Anyway, point G. The disciples were confused disoriented and ran away as fast as they could eventually they all met in the room where jesus appeared this is 2019 so putting putting this together yeah they got away and i don't expect that they all ran the same direction in the same way i think they just the point was to get away but after this so 2019 says on the evening of the first day of the week This is Sunday evening when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So notice the disciples were together. But what we learned from that was only 10 of the disciples were there. And Thomas, uh, who was one of the disciples, was not there. He was one of the 12, but he was, and this is verse 24, he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So somehow the disciples got back together and they were in this room and they were afraid. They were afraid. So when we note that just like it says they all they all did ran run they ran. They all did run and were scattered but they eventually came back and somehow they were together again. Maybe they were planning about what was the next move, what are they gonna do? I mean, now that Jesus is dead, what's gonna what what's gonna be come of them? So maybe it was some sort of meeting. We are not quite sure. Point number three: We're moving forward. So this is what Jesus says: You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone. For my Father is with me. So this whole thing of Jesus is saying you you're not I'm going to be left alone, right? Cuz obviously if they're going to run, Jesus is going to be the only one left there. So point A, you will leave me alone. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. That's Matthew 26:56. Well, just confirming it. There it is in another gospel said, straight away, then all the disi- disciples deserted him and fled. So, sure enough, that's what happened. Jesus is saying it. Now, Imagine Jesus saying this to the disciples. They, even though they understand about the Father now, who is directing the life of motivation of Christ, they are not prepared for the death, burial, and resurrection. That's why Jesus says, Oh, so now you do believe. Uh Uh-huh. His next phrase is a time is coming and has now come when you will be scattered. Now just think about it. the disciples will listen to this, but they have no idea how this is gonna work out. And they're sitting there thinking about uh you know all the things that Jesus has revealed to him about the Father. Now they have to integrate the Father into their theology, which wasn't before. Well, he was I mean, they're going to desert him and run away from Christ. It's very shortly, that very night, in fact. And in their minds, that was not what was going to happen. Point B, they deserted him. The Messiah, the one they have been following for three and a half years, the one they saw miracle after miracle, their Lord. They ran for their lives. The, I could add the one they had placed their eternal salvation in because they believed that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. But they ran for their lives. Yeah. For fear of the Jews, the doors were locked. As we read in uh, John twenty nineteen. the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. And this was after. So it wasn't. Even, right, they ran, and if somebody stuck a microphone in front of their mouths and said, why are you running? And they said, we're scared. Well, this is after they got time to think about it and process the fact that Christ died. They were afraid for their own lives now, more so than ever. They weren't moving around in the streets where somebody could identify them and say, hey, you, you were one of them. So they were afraid. That's why. They were in that room and the doors were locked. And it says they were afraid. So so what we learn is Jesus had to face the Jewish mob alone. So this is Matthew 26. Let's look at the scripture here. Matthew 26, 30 through 35 is the passage. So it says... When they had sung a hymn, this is sort of right after what we're talking about, another account of what we've been dealing with. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now, just remember this. Because this is literally what we're talking about in John. This is right at the point. Jesus is saying to them, you're going to all leave. And then he quotes a scripture even. He even quotes the same scripture that we brought forward in Zechariah thirteen seven. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the of the flock will be scattered. Uh, he's talking about his being risen. But again, none of this registers with them. It's just beyond belief them that this man is going to tell them, I'm going to die, but then I'm going to be raised to life. As far as they know, dying is over. You're saying you're going to die. Well, that's it for you. There's no coming back. There's no more talking about. Now, you, you may be a miracle worker, but people don't come back from that. Um, so then it goes on to say, verse 33, Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. What a statement. What a statement for Peter to make. He's saying that no, really he, he's saying the scripture is not true. Jesus quoted the scripture. Peter said, not well, no, no, that's not true. It's not going to happen here. Not maybe they might. But not me. I never will. Verse 34. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows. Really, but when do, when do roosters crow? Sometimes too early for us. If, you know, if you've ever lived around a rooster, then you know. <laughs> they start with that. And it's too early. The crack of dawn sometimes. So th- this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And what does he mean by disown? Meaning Peter's going to declare he never even knew Christ. And he cursed the last time. He says, I don't I'm not going to curse. But he said, I don't know the man. I'm, I don't even know who you're talking about. And then the rooster crowed, and Peter saw that. Everything Christ said was true. He wept bitterly, it says. Verse 35, but when Pe- but Peter declared, and here he says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the disciples said the same. Notice they were all of the same mind. <laughs> we could say just like at, on the day of Pentecost, they were all of the same mind with one accord in one place. And then the shepherd was struck. And sure enough, just like the scripture said, they all fled for their lives. So no matter, it's not that Peter was trying to defy the scripture. It's just that he just felt like that wasn't in his theology at all. And all the disciples, Peter was speaking for all of them. So that's what you have to see. Um, Jesus was talking about, you're going to leave me alone. And it's so true. And Jesus had to deal with that mob, those people carrying all those clubs and sticks and, and staves and like they were chasing a wild animal. Jesus submitted to them, and they beat him right there on the spot. And then they kept beating him all the way to where he went to go see Caiaphas. They, went, they finally took him before Caiaphas, and they abused him some more. It was just a terrible situation. Not only were, did the disciples abandon Jesus, but then he took a beating as well. And they knew, once they had you, well, wasn't much you could do to extricate yourself. They had you, basically. So, So people who got taken by Rome to be crucified, well, that was it. You weren't getting away from them. You were going to the cross. You were going to die. So this is, let's continue in our notes. Um, so point D, yet I am not alone for Jesus to go through this rough time. He knew he could not depend on the disciples. He only had the Father. Now obviously he had the Holy Spirit through the Father and the Father because the Holy Spirit in Christ is what facilitated His relationship just like it does ours. How do we have Christ and the Father? We have that through the Holy Spirit, through the indwelling Holy Spirit. In the same way, Christ's life and his spiritual life was replicated in us. What Christ had, we have now in the church age. So um, he couldn't depend on the disciples at all. But what he could depend on was the Father. So this is what he says in point E. My Father is with me. So what did he mean by saying that? This, this suffering was an important part of the Father's wills. Even if we think about it, when, when Jesus is saying the Father is with him, the, the Father was with him telling him that he has to, he has to go through this suffering. <laughs> That's what the, fa- the Father's presence with him is to tell him that, look, you, you're going to have to go to the cross. Remember, Garden of Gethsemane which is going to be the next point, point F. Christ is saying, is there another way in this? Is there a way out of this? And the answer is, not as I will, not as Christ wills, but this is the Father's will that you go to the cross, that you pay for the sins of the world. And point E, I have the scripture First 1 John 2, 2, which says, he is the propitiation not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. So Christ, the mission that he had was large. He is, like John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So it was important that Christ. He says the Father's with him. Yeah, he was with him, all right, but the Father was going to be the one who had to judge Christ. So it's, it wasn't that the Father wasn't with him. The Father was with him. And Christ was submitting to the Father's will. That's what the Garden of Gethsemane was all about. That's point F. It illustrates, Garden of Gethsemane illustrates Jesus' inner struggle. That's what, and I'll just read it, Matthew 26, 36 through 46. This is the account, Matthew's account. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And then it says he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So notice he brought the disciples in, but then he took Peter, James, and John. That's the sons of Zebedee. Along with him, and began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. That's all he asked of them. He knows Judas and this mob, this Jewish mob of temple guards, uh, made up of temple guards, which are also Roman soldiers, were coming to take Jesus to arrest him. He all this is just like on the cusp of happening. The disciples are just it's just hidden from them. Literally. Maybe they had so much to eat, they couldn't pay attention. As soon as they had a minute of silence instead of praying like Jesus said, keep watch, watch and pray. This This is what their responsibility was, and they couldn't even do that. So, it says here, keep watch with me. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So notice: Is there another way out of this? Do I that I don't have to go undergo such suffering? Is it is it another way? But I don't want to do it according to my will, but as you will. Verse forty. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for an hour? He asked. Notice he asked Peter. Now, who is he talking to? The rest of them are already sleeping. they're Probably within eye eye distance, he could see them, that they're sleeping. But Peter, James, and John are closer. And he asked Peter, you couldn't even watch with me for just an hour? You're already asleep? Verse 41, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Notice what's here common. Your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. Now, we all know what that's about. Uh, I, as you get older, this what happens Especially 8, 9, 10 o'clock, your eyes start to get heavy. So he left them and went, went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So notice the, the urgency in his voice, the sense of duty, the sense of commitment to follow the Father's plan to the T. He's refreshed by, I would say, wrestling in prayer with the Father. This is what it talks about in Hebrews. He suffered uh, but learning by the, by the obedience. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So this is point F, point G. The theme of this event is found in the phrase, may your will be done. Yeah, that's, that's in verse 42. May your will be done. He understood the father's plan. So yeah, the father wasn't di- uh, distant from him. The father was very near because this is his hour. More so than any other time he was teaching. The father told him what to say, how to say it. But in this time the Father is getting ready to judge the Son. So he is very near to him. May your will be done. Also in Hebrews twelve two, there's another thought of this. Here it is. Hebrews twelve two is fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our of faith, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So there you have quite a lot in that scripture. But notice, Christ knew he was doing the will of the Father. And that was his joy. For the joy set before him. What did he do? He stepped forward and endured the cross. He was doing all of that because he loved the Father. Because it was the Father's will. That he suffer under the penalty of the sins of all mankind. Not his own sins, but the sins of every person that would ever be born. Christ had to bear their iniquity. So, unfortunately, point H he found no comfort in the disciples. And they did not understand the timing, even though they were told directly. Mark 14, 37 is is the, the text for that. Mark 14 and 37, we're winding down, says, Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? It's definitely some disappointment in Christ's disciples here. And I have to acknowledge um, that they failed. Christ understood their failure. He knew, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He said as much. He said this verse. But you could see the humanity in the person of Christ here. He depended on that inner circle. Those were his friends. Peter, James, and John. And they were devoted to him, and he was, in turn, devoted more to them as well. It was almost like what happened at uh, with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. They were his personal friends, and both of them came to to Christ one at a time. They both said the same thing, and I hurt Christ and hurt him to the to the extent that he. He wept, even he was. It shows his humanity. What did they say, Lord? If you had been here, our brother would not have died. So one of them came up to him and said that. And then Mary, who waited, I think she, the reason why when Martha came and said that she, she was so, she was disappointed in Christ. He had healed everybody. Peter's Peter's mother was healed, remember? Peter, his mother was sick, and they said, well, get Jesus. Jesus." And sure enough, Jesus came. What did he do? He healed her. And, uh, and then she began to wait on them. She was deathly ill. And here was Lazarus. And they knew that Jesus could have come and healed him before he died. But Jesus intentionally did not come. So he knew what was going on. But even though he knew how it was going to go down... He still shows his humanity about the whole thing. And it says he wept. He was troubled in spirit. And he wept. And when he finally turned, he said, Father, I, I'm saying this not for me because I already know. I know what, what's happening. And I'm not even turning to John 11. But he says, I'm saying this for those who are here. And then he he's turned and said, Lazarus come out. So, in some ways, yes, we have to acknowledge the disciples failed. And that's point I. The disciples failed at this point. It was expected. But we should know they did recover and were stronger because of their experience. We we should know that. And remember we talked about strength and weakness and strength in failures success in failure and acts chapter 4 verse 13 let's look at that this is the scripture we can reference here acts 4 now you know 412 is a classic let's read it salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved This is what it says in 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note of these men, that these men had been with Jesus. So talking about the boldness and the courage that they had. I mean, when you think about what they came from, and the failure that they had. I mean, Peter standing up, I don't care about what the rest of them will do, but I will never leave you. I will, even if I have to die. And then to him getting the realization that he failed and he went out and wept bitterly. I think it just, the whole experience just helped them to be strong and even more strong. To declare that Jesus was the Christ. And and to usher in this new dispensation. So we're, we're going to close with point J as we move forward. That Jesus came to know who he was and why he was here. And that's It was a process for Jesus to come to know that. So the question is, do you know who and what you are in him? And here's the statement. You are here to do the will of the Father. And that speaks of the Father's eternal purpose. That's, But how do we get that? It is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do we understand that? What are, what are the means of our apprehension here? And in the power of the spirit of truth. That's the church age in a nutshell that we have. That is our... Now, the question is have you come to this point yet where you understand? Just like Christ was in that garden of Gethsemane struggling, and he said, He came to the conclusion, May your will be done. That's for our lives as well, if we're walking in his footsteps. We are going to have to close. We will continue with John 16, the last verse next week. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you so much. You've given us the joy of understanding that just walking and doing your will is the joy. It is the acknowledgement and the confirmation that we are walking in your footsteps. We thank you, Father, for the calling that we have, the privilege of um, being in Christ, who is our Lord, and the power of the Spirit being part of the motivation that is, belongs to us. That motivation gives us the direction and the, the way to fulfill and execute your plan. Father, we thank you for those who have come and we pray that as we continue our journey in these passages, these most important passages, that you will, will continue to give us wisdom around these, these words that are preserved for us. All this we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For his sake. amen. 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 Amen.